Hey everyone, welcome to the Teen Screen Feminism Podcast. I'm Athena Bellis. Well, this is the podcast's actual first official season, even though over the years I've made quite a few episodes of this podcast. And over those years, I had run it in a very sort of organic fashion. I sort of met people and then I would ask them if we could chat on the podcast about topics of mutual interest. And that worked really, really well for quite a while. And then work and life and just general busyness got in the way of me being organized. And really sadly for me, it all kind of fell to the wayside. And so I'm still really passionate about this project and I've decided to kickstart it again. I've spent the last six months or so doing lots of research and writing to create an official cohesive season of this podcast. So I'm really, really excited to be here recording this again in my little pillow fort um, sitting here in my apartment. And so on this season of the podcast, I'm going to be exploring a topic that I think is just so fascinating. And my research has led me into all sorts of really interesting territories, things that surprised me, different film histories that I didn't really know very much about. And there's not that much out there on a lot of these films and this topic. And the topic is how teen pregnancy has been represented in film history. So I'm going to be looking at films made from about the 1910s. And each episode is going to look at a different film from a different decade. When I first came up with the idea for this, I was hoping when I began my research to explore quite an international scope of films. But what I discovered, which was really interesting in and of itself, was that there was very little production information and also research available on some of the films I had chosen from a range of national contexts when I had initially imagined what the project was going to look like. So you might notice that there is a particularly American focus to this season. And I'd be really happy to talk about my research process more on Instagram or on Tumblr if people are interested in hearing about some of the dead ends I came up against and also some of the spaces where I found lots and lots of information about certain films. So the films I have chosen for this season don't necessarily represent the decade's particular attitudes towards teen pregnancy, although they certainly reflect aspects or at least parts of these attitudes. And I've chosen these films because I find them really fascinating and because they reveal, I think, something about the way we think about teenage girls particularly. Every episode I will flag for spoilers because there will be lots and lots of spoilers for all of the films that we talk about. And also, I'll be flagging potentially sensitive content at the beginning of each and every episode. So movies and our kind of modern or contemporary understanding of the category of the teenager, what the teenager means and uh, what their life cycle looks like came about at about the same time. So movies and adolescence as ideas, as categories, as practices came about at the same time. And so that's what makes them kind of really interesting to talk about together. 
And Catherine Driscoll, who's just one of my favourite writers on this topic, talks about this in her article, Modernism, Cinema and Adolescence. And she says this, and this is quite a long quote, but it's definitely worth quoting at length. She says this, Adolescence as an identity crisis bound to both emerging sexuality and training in citizenship was discovered in the 19th century by new social sciences and new modes of cultural criticism at the same time as experiments with cameras and film were tending towards cinema. Adolescence and cinema were in many respects new industries for the 20th century, and film's popularity among youth and its images of youth have been an important way of talking about cinema for as long as there has been a cinema industry to talk about. End quote. And so throughout this season, what we'll see unfold as quite a predominant theme is the fear that we have about the potential effect of movies and the media more generally on teenagers, and a lot of conversations that come up around how those effects that we imagine or observe should be regulated and controlled by adults. So that's going to be a really emerging theme throughout the season, and it's one that I think is really fascinating. So that's the piece about cinema. What about this element of the pregnant teenager within that cinema history that Catherine Driscoll described in that earlier quote? Well, our society is and has for a long time been very obsessed with the figure of the pregnant teenage girl. And for a lot of social spaces, she symbolizes and crystallizes a lot of cultural fears about immorality and excess and irrationality, all these sorts of things that lots of different sections of society have tried to keep under wraps through educational, medical, familial and legal institutions. We have a lot of ideas about what good development looks like for girls and society is constantly monitoring and checking girls to keep them on this path and then diagnosing and disciplining them when they stray from that path that has been cut out for them. And Kira Clark is a writer who I really like on this topic, and she writes, this is a direct quote from her, Teen pregnancy constitutes a divergence from linear expectations in which a transition is made from girl to quote-unquote normal, rational and responsible adulthood and heteronormative acts such as marriage. And so in some of the films that we'll explore this season, the girl who is pregnant gets represented as a juvenile delinquent, and then in other cases, she's represented as more of an innocent victim. She's sort of a good girl who happened to just stumble onto the wrong side of the tracks. But even though there are these two different kinds of girls, both kinds get represented in such a way that we are led to feel or encouraged to feel that the girl is in need of adult intervention and instruction in order to become good again. And we can think about, you know, what does it mean to be good and by whose standards and so on. But nevertheless, she's instructed on how to become good again, or she has to be punished if she can't or refuses to become quote unquote good again. And while this isn't always 100% of the time 
the way in films about teenage pregnancy, it is overwhelmingly the case I have found in my research that the girl has to answer in some way for her transgressions and then be either redeemed or punished for them. But what the sense that we get is is that these transgressions are too much and they then have to be contained either through redemption or the punishment narrative. And indeed, if you look back through the decades, so many generations have been very keen and very anxious, in fact, to diagnose what they see as the problem with girls today. And in fact, in a lot of the writing on teen pregnancy, this word epidemic gets thrown around a lot, like an epidemic of pregnancy in teenagers, even during times where teen pregnancy is on the decline or even at an all-time low, as Kira Clark writes in her article, Becoming Pregnant. And Joel Best and Kathleen Bogle's summary of public health official research studies conducted by social scientists back up this claim that Clark makes. And Best and Bogle state that when we compare the patterns in the data with claims about kids gone wild, it becomes apparent that the fears are overblown. And so, in fact, the data that they collated suggested that teens are actually less sexually active today than they were, say, in the 1980s. And as they write, the data shows that more teens are waiting longer to have their first sexual experience. So what this research suggests is that the anxieties about this issue, about this epidemic of teen pregnancy, aren't always just based on facts. And instead, in many ways, I think what we see is this media representation of the teenage girl becomes very kind of mythical and overblown. She becomes this kind of story of this unruly force and she becomes this moral, social and health crisis that all gets distilled down into this image of the pregnant girl, especially if she's a girl of colour and especially if she's poor. And in fact, Wanda Pillow, who writes fabulously in her book Unfit Subjects, she shows that some of the conversation around this so-called teen pregnancy crisis emerged around the middle of the 20th century. And that conversation, she says, turned the teen mother into an overrepresented, hypervisible subject. And that this hypervisibility, and this is a direct quote, reproduces stereotypical knowledge about teen mothers and masks potential other knowings. So in this book, Unfit Subjects, Pillow talks really beautifully about how this conversation was very raced and racist. So she found that white pregnant girls usually were constructed as kind of inherently good. They had just lost their way. But even though they had lost their way, they were capable and importantly worthy of rehabilitation and a redemption. The white girls' problems and so-called neuroses were seen as treatable. But then on the other hand, girls of colour and girls who were poor were seen through really racist lenses. They were othered. They were seen to be untreatable and unredeemable because the problems that led to her pregnancy out of wedlock were seen to be inherent. So that's this sort of difference between the story of the white pregnant girl and the girl of colour. There's a sense that inherently one is good and inherently 
one is set on a path of suffering, essentially. Wonder Pillow also traces the way these attitudes of racism and the racial segregation of services for unmarried mothers continue to work right now in our contemporary moment. And she states that the vestiges of such ideologies impact present day policies and practices. So then what happens is that one of the primary affects that gets associated with representations of teen pregnancy are things like shame. And that shame is associated not just with the pregnancy itself, but everything that it represents. And in fact, Rachel McLennan talks about the fact that in Western culture, the pregnant teenager is most often classified as a highly visible, stigmatized object. She's a warning to others. And Kathleen Sweeney agrees with this. She writes that teen mums function as cautionary bad girls in popular culture. So throughout this season, we'll look at how these cautionary bad girls look, how they stay the same, how they change, how their visibility shifts over time, and the sorts of social dangers that films across the decades warn against, and the sorts of remedies that they suggest for these social dangers. These range of so-called solutions to the social ills that are proposed across the decades are really, really interesting. It's surprising to see some of the ways in which they've changed, but also what really surprised me and, and interested me quite a lot as I was doing my research for this is how in many instances they kind of stay the same or sort of very similar. And to me, this suggests that we've got some really very durable and enduring cultural attitudes towards teenage girls kind of left over from um, at least the 20th century. And exploring this topic feels quite timely to me anyway, especially because in our contemporary popular culture, as Imogen Tyler puts it, maternity has never been so visible, so talked about, so public and so deeply incoherent. And so while pregnancy is so hyper-visible, teenage girls themselves as well are also always under the microscope. And so then when these two things come together, the teenager and the pregnancy, a range of really interesting social forces and anxieties come into play together. Referring back to Wanda Pillow, she writes, and this is a direct quote from her, the pregnant teen body exposes both the fact of teen female sexuality and the fears we have about such bodies. And so for me, what I noticed when I did the research for this is that there are all these myths of femininity that play out across the decades of films that we'll explore this season and across the bodies of these fictional girls that get represented on screen. And so what we'll do is we'll explore these myths investigate their enduring power, why they fascinate us so very much. And I'm also hoping that we'll find some ways to challenge them as well. Join me next time for episode two, which explores silent films from the 1910s and early Hollywood movies about pregnant teenagers. This episode was researched, written, and presented by me, Athena Bellis, and it was edited by Claire Gorn. Thank you so much for listening, and see you next time.